The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here, and it is good to be with you. Uh, if you are a guest or visitor, welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're with us. And this morning, uh, we are starting a new sermon series for the summer in the book of Psalms. So if you have a, a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 124. Uh, the Psalms is in the Old Testament. It's about the middle part of your Bible. So if you just flip open to the middle, you're probably pretty close to it. Uh, but we'll be looking at Psalm 124. And uh, this has been a Kind of practice that we've adopted here at CTK for some time. Uh, last summer notwithstanding, every summer uh, we have returned to the Psalms. Um, some, some of this is it's a nice break from the regular kind of systematic working through a book. We can move around a little bit, hit on some different genres, but, but some of the other reasons why we return to the Psalms is because in the Psalms what we have are the hymns of God's people. So the Old Testament people of God, the songs that they would have sung were the psalms themselves. And so these are the songs that would have been on their lips. But also in the psalms, what we have are, are songs, are depictions, descriptions of the emotions that we experience every day. So for those of us, when we experience great sadness and sorrow, or great joy and celebration, when we have those times where where there are not words to express what it is that we are feeling, what it is that we are experiencing, we can turn to the Psalms and hear our emotions expressed. And so the Psalms give us words, they give us vocabulary for what it's like to live in this world, for the things that we feel and think. And so we return again to the Psalms this summer, and we're going to look at Psalm 124. Psalm 124 is one of the songs of ascent. The songs of ascent were 15 psalms between 120 and 134. And these were the songs that God's people would have sung as they were going up to Jerusalem for the various feasts throughout the year. So as they were going on pilgrimage, as they were coming together, as they were going up to the holy city to go worship the Lord, they would play, they would listen and sing these songs. It was kind of like their road trip playlist, right? Or like a mix CD, right? I know I just dated myself, right? And, and when you go on a road trip, when you pop in the CD, when you go to Spotify or Apple Music and you start listening, right? One of the best parts of that playlist is, is that the whole car starts to sing together, right? After a little while, all the conversations died down, and maybe the kids are in the back, they're humming along, but before long, everyone's singing the song. And that's what songs are supposed to be, right? We're supposed to sing them. We're supposed to sing them together. And, and that's what we have here, in fact. In verse 1, David says, Let Israel now say. David, the author of this psalm, this one who wrote it, he is inviting Israel to join with him. This isn't just a song for the worship director or the choir leader as they are going about, but all of the people are to join together and sing to the Lord and to one another. And when they sing, they sing these words, 
Psalm 124, a song of ascents of David. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and ask simply that you would now be our help. That you would help us so we would see the beauty of your grace as it's revealed in your word. We would see the ways in which you have called us to live. We ask that you would be our help. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, April 15th, 1947 was one of the most important days in the history of Major League Baseball. April 15th, 1947 uh, was the day that Jackie Robinson an African-American baseball player, played his first Major League Baseball game. April 15, 1947, Jackie Robinson broke what was called the color barrier, and he became the first African-American to play alongside white ballplayers when he took the field for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Now, being the first African-American to ever play in Major League Baseball, to be surrounded by uh, white players white fans, you can imagine the difficulties that arose for Jackie. You could imagine the, the opposition that he faced. He faced opposition from his teammates. There were some who didn't want to play alongside him. He faced opposition from his opponents. There were those who didn't want to take the field against him. He faced opposition from the fans in the stands who didn't want to pay money to watch him play. He was harassed and heckled. Racial slurs from fans and from the other team were thrown at him on a daily basis. And what's interesting is that as he depicts it in his biography, Robinson tells us that, that over the course of the season, it wasn't just he that faced these oppositions. It wasn't just he that faced this harassment. Actually, his teammates started to face it as well because his teammates kept playing with him and playing alongside him and receiving him. And there was one instance that he told to a Brooklyn newspaper that he later recorded in his biography. An instance where, where the harassment, where the difficulty had risen to such a peak. They were in Boston. And the Boston team was yelling and harassing and, and, and heckling not just Jackie, but his teammates. One of his teammates in particular, a man named Pee Wee Reese, who played shortstop for the Brooklyn Dodgers, who was from the South, they heckled him and harassed him because he was playing alongside a black man. And Jackie said of that game, he said, I'll never forget that day. Pee Wee kind of sensed the hopeless, dead feeling in me and came over and stood beside me for a while. He put his hand on my shoulder and began to talk to me. His words weren't important. I don't even remember what he said. It was a gesture of comradeship and, and support. He stood talking with me with a friendly arm around my shoulder. 
And slowly the jibes died down, like when you kill a snake an inch at a time, and then there was nothing but quiet from them. It was wonderful the way this little guy did it. I will never forget it. It is beautiful, isn't it? It is beautiful because in his time of need, when he had been harassed, when he had been heckled, when he had been treated horribly, in his time of attack and mocking, there was Pee Wee Reese and Jackie Robinson, one with his arm around the other, standing to get together, giving help to one another. In their time of need, that's what they gave to one another. And that's what we need, isn't it, in times of need? In times of need, don't we need someone who will stand alongside us? In times when we feel alone and abandoned, when we are confronted by the hazards of this life, don't we need someone to come to our aid, to stand with us, to help us? We need that. David needed it, and so did Israel. David knew he needed it for himself because he knew the harassments and the hazards that that had come upon him and that would come. In fact, we see these hazards depicted in verses 2 through 5. Specifically, look at verses 2 through 3. David writes, People rose up against us. Then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Now, we don't know the exact situation or circumstance that David's referring to. It could be when the Philistines attacked the Israelites. It could have been when he was fleeing from King Saul and he and his men were hiding out in caves. It could have been when his son Absalom staged an, inner, in, staged an insurrection against him. It could have been one of these many occasions. We don't know what it was, but what we do know is that whatever the situation, whatever the harassment and the hazard may have been, it has stuck with him. Right? He can't forget it. He says that whoever these people were, they rose up and would have eaten them alive. And I have to tell you, when I heard that, when I read those verses, the thing that came to my mind was the picture of a, of a monster, a sea creature, a dragon, right? Something with great scales and with sharp teeth that comes out of nowhere and devours people, right? And lays waste to cities. That's the first thing that went through my mind. People were here today, but gone tomorrow. They're alive one moment and devoured the next. They come and they destroyed them, devoured them, killed them. David's speaking of death. Not, not death from a dragon or a sea monster, right? And I imagine none of us are concerned about one of those popping up, right, out of the blue. No, but we know that death will come. It may not come from a sea monster or a dragon, but, but death will come. We don't know when, but we know it will. Right? Doctors can give us kind of a, a, a time frame. They can tell us what to expect. But, but the greatest doctor, the most skilled scientist, they cannot tell us exactly when death will come. And yet it will. It will bear its fangs, and it will seek to eat us alive. So when it comes, who will stand with us? 
Who will help us in the face of death? Well, it's not just the hazard of death that David describes. It's also the hazards of life that come upon us. Look at the imagery that David uses in verses 4 through 5. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. The image is that of a flash flood, right? That, that a storm comes out of nowhere. It comes quickly. And a dry creek bed is overwhelmed by water. The banks can't contain it, right? The waters keep rising and rising and they overflow the banks. And anything and anyone that is in its way will be swept away. The image David is giving us is that of raging waters rising up and crashing over us. And that's how life sometimes feels, doesn't it? That we're swept away by the current of the world. That the waters of sin are crashing over us. A little glance. And our minds are swept away in fantasy and lust. The reading of a simple sentence and waters of rage pour out of our mouths. It can feel like we are standing on riverbanks and the storm of temptation and of sin is sweeping us away. So how will we stand? Who will help us when the hazard of life and of death rise up against us? Now listen, these hazards, the hazard of death, of being swept away, Right? We could go on and we could talk about these for, for minute after minute, right? for hours. We could spend entire sermons on these things. But, but they're not the main story of this psalm. The hazards are but the context. No, the main story isn't the hazards. The main story is the helper. The helper, we see the helper in verse 1. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, then we would have been swept away, right? What, what is David saying? The Lord is on our side. Verse 8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. The creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who br brought forth the, the mountains and the seas, right? The one who sends the wind to blow and the snows to fall. He is the one who is on our side. He is our helper, the one who just spoke and creation came into existence. The one with that kind of power, he is on our side. He is our help. Y'all, doesn't that change everything? Right? It changes everything. It doesn't mean the hazards go away. It doesn't mean that they just fall away, that they melt away. They still remain, but doesn't it change how we approach them? The waters of temptation, the fear of death, doesn't it change how we approach them? That the Lord, the Creator, He is our help. You see, what it means is that that though these hazards arise, though these harassments come, we will not be swallowed alive. We will not be swept away. Look how David describes what God has done in verses 6 and 7. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. David is saying this because he experienced that escape himself, right? 
David's life was filled with enemies who threatened and family who turned on him and his life in jeopardy and sin that overtook him. He's not denying those things. He's not painting for us this picture of of a rosy life. Now, in fact, Eugene Peterson, commenting on this verse, says this is not a person talking about the good life, how God has kept him out of all difficulty. No, this person has gone through the worst and finds himself intact. Death and flood, hazards and threats, they came, and yet David remains He remains because God protected him. He remains because the Lord broke the fowler's net. Right? The picture is that of a bird that's been caught by a net, right? By a fowler. But the bird has escaped. And why is the bird escaped? Not because the net was weak. Not because the bird, like, chewed his way out. No, but because someone came and broke the net and freed the bird. It's not David who escaped on his own. It's not Israel who protected themselves. It was the Lord who did this. He is their help. He is the one on their side. And it's not just David and Israel who the Lord is on their side. It's not just David and Israel who the Lord is a help. He is our help. Now, that little pronoun, our, that might cause some of us a little bit of angst, a little bit of consternation. Maybe we start to wonder, like, like, yeah, I, I can buy that. I get the Lord was on David's side. He was the king. And I understand. I can believe that the Lord was the help to Israel. They were the people of promise, but, but he's my help. He's our help. That might be where we have a little bit of trouble because we wonder and we say and we think, well, isn't death still bearing its fangs? Aren't we still standing on the river's edge with sin threatening to rush over us? And those things are true. David doesn't deny those hazards. What he's doing is showing us that even in a hazardous life, God is still our help. He's still our help. And we know he is our help. We know he is on our side because we see him as our help in Christ. Christ is our helper. Right? He is our helper when when the threat of temptation and of sin comes blowing by. Right? When the floodwaters start to rise and start to crash against us. He is our help. He is the one who said in Luke 6, That everyone who comes to him and hears his words and does them, that we will be like the man who built a house on the rock. That when the flood rose up and the streams broke against it, he couldn't be shaken. You see, friends, when the waters of life rise, we are not shaken because Christ is our foundation. That we are not moved in the flood. We are not moved when the waters come crashing against us because Christ holds us fast. He is our help. He is our help when the waters of temptation rise. The way that Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 10 is that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 
He will provide a way. He is the one who rescues us from the fowler's net. He is the one who holds us fast. He helps us to endure the flood. And he is our help in the face of death. Yes, death will come, right? I just said the cliche to my child the other day. Death and taxes, right? They will come. We know that they will arrive. But for those who are in Christ, death is not the final word. Death is not the final word. You see, God doesn't allow us to fall prey to the teeth of death. Death will come to our mortal bodies, but it doesn't have the ultimate victory. Because though we may die in Christ, we will live. Right? That is the promise that Paul speaks of in Romans chapter 8. When he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And then Paul goes on and says, I am sure that neither death nor life will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death does not have the final word over the people of God. Death does not have the final word because Christ is resurrected and has defeated death. Death doesn't have the final word because the tomb is empty and Christ lives. Because Christ has risen on high and he sits at God's right hand and is coming again to take us to himself. Death does not have the final word. So that we can say with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That as we face death, as it comes and it bears its fangs to us, we need not fear because Christ has the victory. Now listen, this doesn't mean that for those of us who experience death, the death of a loved one, of someone we care, it doesn't mean that it doesn't have pain. It doesn't mean that we, we don't have this triumph. It doesn't mean that we have this triumphalistic approach to it. Like, oh, it's, it, it's not that bad. They're in a better place. Like, it, we still feel loss. Still feel hurt. We still know this is not the way it is meant to be. And we have hope. We have hope that though death may come, Christ lives. We have hope that though death will bear its teeth, Christ has defeated it. We have hope. Some of you know that the pastor, Tim Keller, who was a pastor in our denomination, a world-renowned writer, he passed away just a few weeks ago. That after a number of years of battling cancer, he, his, body, his body finally succumbed to it. And, and as the final days were approaching, he moved into hospice. And while he was in hospice care, he said, I am thankful for the time God has given me. But I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. 
And then later, as death was growing ever closer, it was coming ever nearer, his son Michael reported that one of the final things that his father said was, there is no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. Did you hear that? Death bore its fangs, and it opened its mouth, and he said, I'm ready to see Jesus. There is no downside for me leaving. Friends, those are the words of one who knew that in Christ, death isn't the end. That, those are the words of one who knew the assurance of this psalm, that though the threats may be fierce and the hazards may be deadly, they do not ultimately succeed because God is our help. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We praise you and give you thanks that, that you are our help, that you are on our side, not because of anything that we have done, but you are our help because of Christ. He is our helper, the one who has lived and died and risen again, so that in the face of temptation, as flood waters rise, that we would hold firm, that in the face of death, we would not fear but have hope, because you, Christ, have had the victory. And so we pray that we would live as people, live as people turning to you, resting in you, and depending upon you, our great helper, our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray and God's people said together, amen.